Good morning, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Wayne. I'm one of the um, clergy here at B&A. Um, do, so God, I've discovered as I've kind of like gone on in my Christian life that God has God, God's actually one of the God's the funniest person I think I know. Persons, three persons, of the Trinity. And um, but God is God is so. Th- we have, uh, our kids have become obsessed with uh, Rick Astley. Hands up if you know who I mean when I say Rick Astley. People of my generation can do. Apparently, he's A, still alive, and B, still singing songs. Anyway, they've become obsessed with Rick Astley because apparently, if you're like 14 and 12, Rick Astley is a meme because they basically send each other like things of like he's never going to give you up, levitate you down, desert you type stuff. Um, and our kids have become obsessed with um, the Rick Astley back canon, which apparently is a lot more than I thought it was, like maybe one or two hits. Apparently there's a lot more songs. Uh, and they go right up until really recently. And the one they've really become obsessed with is a song uh, called Angels by Your Side. And the whole point is Rick is in a little bit of a difficulty, but he's got angels by his side, and he wants to know if we can see them. And the chorus kind of goes, I'm, he goes, I've got angels by my side. Can you see them? Can you see them? And it's constantly playing out in our house, or thank you, all the time. And it's got to the stage now where if I walk into the kitchen, or Wendy walks into the kitchen, or we walk into a room that we're in, the first, one of us will look at the other one and go, I've got angels by my side. And then the other one will go, can you see them? Can you see them? And it's, it's slightly, it's beginning to annoy me, but we're doing it. Thursday and Friday this week, Wendy and I uh, were at, uh, we're part of the HGB Network, and we were at the HGB Network leaders, kind of, it's kind of like a, a retreat for the, uh, the, the senior leaders of, 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 the, of all the churches in the HGB Network, and one of the, there's lots of amazing things that happen. One of the most amazing things that happen is, is you get into groups of about four, and you have an hour, and in that hour, you pray for one another, but we do it in such a way where no, you go, if it's my turn to be prayed for, I don't say anything about what I want, and the other three people pray over me and ask the Lord to guide them, and it's every single year, you hear stuff that is just like, how did you know that? They didn't. The Lord did. On Friday morning, uh, my friend Stu, who I hadn't, it was the first time I'd spoken to him in the the day so far running up, and he said, look, just the minute we started praying for you, uh, I saw you and Wendy, and I felt, he said, it was a picture from Zachariah, but I felt the Lord wanted me to say to you and Wendy that you're surrounded by angels, and could you see them? (laughs) And uh, I kind of like started laughing. I think he thought it might have been a manifestation of the Spirit. And I said, you don't know what a word in season that is. Um, God is very, very funny. Very, very funny indeed. This morning, we're going to talk about um, uh, what God is after. I think this morning, God is after cynicism. Uh, I was going to become like a Pentecostal a second ago, in the house. But actually, I think God is after cynicism this morning. Uh, We're in Genesis chapter 18, if you want to find it. Um, But I think God wants to, in all of our hearts, um, speak to us about the places, the situations, uh, the things that make us cynical. Um, Because because cynicism is one of the big things that that stops us stepping into um, all that God has for us in our relationship with him. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the major problems of the Western world, uh, and I think it's one of the major problems that we as, we as church suffer from, in that we've taken it from the culture around us, is that, is that we're deeply cynical. Um, and this morning, I think the Lord wants to speak to us um, about that. We're going to go through Genesis 18. We're going to divide it roughly into three. Uh, and, and we're going to look at, first of all, the, uh, the, place where, the place where cynicism is dealt with. And then we're going to look at two truths of God uh, that Abraham learns in that place um, that deal with cynicism. So Genesis 18, reading from verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. 
Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah quick. He said, get three sears of the finest flour, knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared. And he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. I'm going to stop there for the moment. Um, the first bit uh, is, is, is it's Abraham looked up. And it's actually the first place that cynicism ends um, actually is in, we've just been singing about this, is actually in the presence of God and in a relationship with God. So Abraham has sat in the heat of the day by great trees, which in, in the Old Testament is a sign of a place where you're going to meet God. And he looks up and he sees three men. People don't know whether or not, at this point, Abraham doesn't know who it is. We don't know whether it is the Lord and two angels or it is the Lord Father, the second person of the Trinity, the Son and the Holy Spirit. But either way, God's showed up. And the first place that um, cynicism ends is, is actually in encounters with God. Abraham welcomes these three men in. Um, and he welcomes them in, in an attitude. In a, it's a posture of humility um, and humbleness. If I have found favor, um, let's bake you enough bread. Let's find the choicest um, calf from the herd. And then, and then while they ate, he stands near them but not with them. There's, a kind of, there's, an, there's an honoring of them. And the first place... Um, that, that, that cynicism ends is, is in encounters and in the presence of God. When we meet with God, the stuff of our hearts um, kind of melts away and gets dealt with. I can apply the truths I'm going to apply later on, but they, they can just remain truths. And it's in the presence of God and in encounters with him uh, that those truths somehow become more than just mental things for us to either assent to or to question but actually mental and heart things that somehow, and we don't quite know why, but we know to be true. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth always starts with the person of Jesus and with encounters with him. Which is why as a church we say we pursue his presence in all things. Because in pursuing his presence we will pursue the places where we will be able to learn truth and have our cynicism dealt with and meet with him. It's why we say in pursuing his presence uh, in all things, we're committed to saying, actually, that means for us daily prayer. That means for us little church. It means for us gatherings and coming to gatherings with an expectation that God is in the house and that he wants to meet with us. What's really interesting, again, we see it again and again and again in Genesis, is that um, the Lord appears. The Lord has moved first. All Abraham has to do is look up and welcome him in. And I wonder how many of us don't look up and therefore maybe miss him passing by. In order to look up, Abraham needs to have that kind of sense of anticipation that God might show up. Do I go through my day, my week, my life with that? And when somebody shows up, and in this case it turns out to be God, Abraham has um, the heart, the time, and the resources to welcome them in. I felt quite challenged when I was thinking about this passage this week about how much, you know, how much time do I have for when God shows up uh, to welcome him in? Or is my schedule so busy, my diary so full that, that I suddenly realize maybe a wee while later 
I think that was a God moment. If there's um, specifically in this part of this city, if there is one thing that I think we need to repent of is that I I notice most people's lives are far too full. Um, I commend to you a book called The Ruthless and Elimination of Hurry by a guy called John Mark Comer. Most people's lives are far too full. And if our lives are far too full, um, we might look up, but we might be too busy on our way somewhere else. The second thing is he has the resources to bless these visitors, to bless the Lord with. Another thing I think the problem that, that, that we can have is that our resources are all kind of leveraged, to use the term, to their, to their max. Um, so not just time, but energy. Um, our homes, our spaces, our effort, our wallets are leveraged to a max um, so that we, um, we don't have an opportunity to, when we look up and see the Lord, to respond. I was struck by, um, I don't know if I but when Charles was speaking on giving, that idea of having money that you don't know what you're going to do with at the start of the year in terms of your giving money. And I know of other churches that do that. They call it the winds of the spirit. Actually, wh- when the Lord appears, we, we, we've set the resources aside for something. And it's having a heart that's open and having space to let God in. Uh, the encounters happen that then begin to break the cynicism of our lives. So I wonder as I move on, um, is there space in your life? If you look up, do you have the space to invite in? Do you have the time and the resources to bless and to welcome? It's not, is God going to show up? It's when he does, will I welcome him in? So that's the first thing I think we need to do is have space to welcome them in for an encounter where um, our cynicism can be dealt with. Um, Second bit, I'm going to read from verse 9. So they're sat, they're eating, and from verse 9, where is your wife Sarah, they asked. They asked him. Uh, There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. The, the force of the text there is it's inward. You know, someone, someone says something, and you kind of subtly go um, to herself as she thought. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I think this is the moment where Abraham goes, ah, so this is who's come for lunch. I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Don't argue with God. Um, I think the second thing about about, um, cynicism comes out of this thing is this bit of the passage. The passage is very clear that God does the impossible. That, that, that's one of the forces of this section of the passage is that God can do the impossible. Um, Abraham and Sarah have been promised that they will, they, will, they will be the start of a nation that will be a blessing to the whole world. Abraham has been told that he will have more descendants than Sarah, stars in the sky. Uh, and he is now, if he was in our world, old enough to, um, uh, you know, to be in the Guinness Book of Records. And there is no child. For Sarah to have a child will be impossible. And God steps in and says the impossible will happen. So that's the, that's the kind of the, force, the first thing we learn, actually, about God, is that God is in the business of doing the impossible. And we're going to come on to, because this is what we do here, being able landing it with Jesus a little bit later. But if you want to know what that really, really looks like, oh, there's a cross behind me. 
God is in the business of doing the impossible. Now, the application of this passage is not, what is the impossible that you need in your life? Chase after it. Or what do you want that's impossible? The application of this is actually in Sarah and Abraham's response, because actually it's both of them. It's when God has spoken the impossible into your life, and sometimes that can be general scripture truths or something you've received as a word, where have you laughed inwardly? Where has your cynicism and your unbelief resulted in a kind of... That's what the Lord wants to deal with. He's going to do the impossible, but he wants to deal with our hearts. He wants to deal with the places where we go, really? Or we just go, no? Or we go, ha? And this is, this is an ongoing battle for me in my life, despite... Uh, it's, this is really interesting. Despite repeated circumstances where the impossible has happened and sometimes has repeated itself in exactly the same way, I sometimes still find myself in a slightly kind of cynical place. So um, I, I worked out when it was uh, with uh, Megan's dad last night. In 2003, I went to a place called the Oasts for, my, for the very first time. That's how old I am. And, uh, and um, the reason I know I worked out it was 2003 is because that was the weekend that uh, the miracle of Limerick happened when uh, Munster needed to beat Gloucester by something like 30 points in order to get to the next round of the Heineken Cup. And we did. And I watched it on TV. Uh, and a whole load of people in our church in London saw a shouty Wayne they'd never quite seen before. So I, that's how I know when it was. And it was the first time in a kind of what you might call time of ministry where God spoke to me really powerfully about somebody else. And the kind of story went like this. We were sat in, in this room and the vicar of our church was telling the story about when a man called John Wimber first turned up at hit their church, our church, about 20 years earlier. And, and they'd, been waiting on the, they'd been in a time of ministry and Wimber had said, there's somebody here, there's only about 20 people in the room, and Wimber said, there's somebody here who can't have children. And actually the Lord wants us to pray for you now and wants that to end. And our vicar said, I looked around the room and I, because I'm a vicar and I'm a pastor and I know everybody, I knew that the poor man had got it very wrong. And I felt so embarrassed for him. (laughs) And then this high flying lawyer gets up and starts walking forward. And I'm like, no, no, not you. You've got a career. (laughs) And this story comes out that we've been trying for children for years. Hasn't happened. Wimber prays for them. Nine months later, a baby. As the guy's telling the story, I can already hear my cynical things going, dink, 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 dink. And as he tells the story, in my heart, I get this sense, there's somebody in the room in that situation today. And I was like, and then he carried on speaking for another 30 minutes, and I can't really remember anything he said, because I basically I felt this kind of weight. And then he said, now we're going to do this waiting on the Lord thing, and I'm not going to speak out words, you are. He said, would you like to stand? And we all stood, and I was like, at this point, my heart's going... And I basically knew that what he had said was in the room. I just knew I knew it. And, and yet there was a bit of me that goes, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. whole lot of reasons, pastoral care, but really, da, 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 da. And, and I was just sat, I had my eyes closed. And I thought I was standing really still, but I probably wasn't. And I opened my eyes, and my vicar was looking right at me. And he went, yes, Wayne. <laughs> and I said, uh, I thought I said it like this. When you were telling the story about the person who needed prayer for pregnancy, I realized the Lord was telling me there was somebody else in the room in the same situation. I think it came out like this. When you were telling the story. Anyway, I said it, and he beamed, and then he said, that is amazing. And if that's you, please go find Wayne and Wendy, and they will pray for you. At which point, I get this, what have you done? I was like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm over there, over this side of the room. I'm sorry, this is a longer story, but is there's somebody who's standing there as, we were, as, as he said the thing that he said in the talk, she suddenly starts thinking about the fact that she hasn't had 
hasn't been able to have children. They've been trying for ages. The doctors can't work out what's, what's wrong or why things have failed. And, and, and she's just churning up about it. We stand in the ministry time. And she said, again, for the very first time, what she heard the Lord speak to her, like really speak to her. And the Lord said, your problem is, is you do everything in your own strength and you need somebody to pray for you. And so she said, I prayed back, Lord, if that is you, make it very clear. At which point the vicar said, yes, Wayne. So we ended up, we knew them. So we ended up as four praying. And one of the things we all did is we looked at each other and we all went, has anybody got faith for this? Because I was just like, I, cynicism was kicked in the minute this happened. And we all went, oh, I don't know, I don't know. So we said, okay, well, I think this is what we do. We went, Lord, we're really sorry we don't have faith for this. We pray for Three months later, I get a message. Uh, three and a half months. I've just had my 12-week scan. Now, the cynicism bit in the room at the moment is going, oh, that's amazing. Coincidence. I didn't go back to the OSTs until 2010, next time the OSTs. And I was in an evening meeting. And it was like a time of worship like we just had. And standing over there was a couple who I only kind of knew to say hello to. And, and as we're in the evening meeting, I get this picture of the couple at a wedding with a girl who is a bridesmaid, a little bridesmaid, dancing. And I can't shift it. And as the worship comes to an end, the vicar leading the meeting goes, if anybody's got a sense of any words for anybody else, share them out. And I, so I, again, went in this tone of voice. I don't think I did. <laughs> went, ah. I basically said, I see this couple over here, and they're at a wedding, and they're watching a little girl, and she's a bridesmaid, and there's a serious pride, and they're dancing. She's dancing, and they love it. And everybody went, <gasps> and, then, and then there were some other words given, and then the person in the meeting went, there's some very specific words. Uh, if you're responding to any of those, please go. And then a whole lot of people ran to this couple and started praying for them. And the person running up to the meeting, who I kind of just know to say hello to, came up and went, do you know anything about their story? And I went, no. He went, amazing. And then off he ran. And I, so I was kind of sat there like this. And then the next day, they both came and found me and said, do you know anything about our story? I said, no. And they both told me the same story. And it goes like this. For years, we couldn't have children. IVF failed. In December, my wife got pregnant. Or she said, I got pregnant. And in January, so eight, eight, 10 weeks ago, we came here to this very space, the Osts, as a staff team in our church. And we had a, a time of worship and waiting on the Lord like we've just been having last night. And my curate went up and gave a word from Song of Songs. The winter has passed, the spring has come, a new season. And my curate said, I don't think this is a word for us as a church. This is a word for somebody specifically in the room. And both of them said, and at that point, we felt the presence of God go bang. And we knew it was a word for us. Because we were just coming up to, we were coming up, we, we'd just had our 12-week scan. We hadn't told anybody yet, and we reached out and we squeezed each other's hands. Imagine how we felt when two weeks later, there was a miscarriage. I was like, oh. and I've, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. And they went, no, it's not your fault. And they both said to me, I don't know what was going on last night, but we met God and we're filled with a sense of faith that we didn't have when we came here. Three and a half months later, I get a message from her saying, we're pregnant. And then they had a boy. And the cynicism in me was like, oh, well, that must have been a coincidence because it was a boy. And last year, I was sent a picture of a little girl, their daughter, as a bridesmaid, dancing outside a church. Now, this, I want you to hear, this is not about me. God is in the business of doing the impossible. And yet we find ourselves again and again doubting it. And even when we tell stories, and stories that kind of have repeated patterns to them, the cynicism bit in us kicks in. God is in the business of doing the impossible. 
And when he speaks the impossible into our lives, it's not about me saying I want a Ferrari. It's about what he has spoken in and over our lives. Um, He doesn't want us to laugh. He wants us to be real and honest with him about where our hearts might be. And then then pursue him and that in it. And sometimes, pants, sometimes we sit on the impossible for what we think are good reasons. And actually, again, it's it's a lack of belief, a lack of faith, um, and a bit of cynicism. So... um, yeah, he's not a James and I are going to share something with you. Um, I shared a couple of weeks ago about the story about the person who prayed for me uh, before depression and after depression. If you were here, uh, you might remember that. If not, you can find it online. And, and what, what I said is actually there were these amazing moments where these two people who'd never met each other two years apart prayed all the same stuff over me and over our church. And one of the things we've never said publicly, and I'm saying it publicly this morning, is in both prayer sessions, the they basically said, your church is going to get to 800 people faster than you realize it. And there was a sense of, and actually it's really interesting looking back to even before we came and not other people and other people in the room here, there's a sense that people have a calling, have a sense of a calling on our church to be a church that will plant churches and that will make a difference. And to do that, and I don't know if 800 is all in one space at the same time, or church plants, I don't mind, but to do that, Momentum is required. We're beginning to see it with, you know, we've been able to do things like soul food or start about beyond the gate because as we've got bigger, we've got more of us to do more kingdom stuff. So this word 800, and it came from, and and it's come from other places as well. But James and I have always kind of gone, we can't talk about that because number one, it's a stick to beat us with. Number two, what if we've, you know, misheard? And number three, um, you know, the time, the first time I heard it, it was kind of like, it felt like it was about 45 and getting smaller every week. But God, but God is in the business of speaking the impossible. And so what I need to do is repent of my cynicism and lean in to what I think he said, pray about it, chase after it, but also not make it, not make it an idol, not make, my, not make my sense of who God is depend upon it, because I might have heard it wrong. But I've I just been aware this week that actually just even in that thing, there's an, there's an element of disbelief and cynicism in me. And when I meet with the Lord, when I invite him in and I sit down with him and he speaks the impossible in my life and then he challenges me about the cynicism, I find that my faith grows. Do you let the Lord in? Do you let him speak over you? Do you let him challenge your cynicism and do you let him build faith? Time marches on. Um, so I'm not going to go in depth into the rest of the passage. Um, I, want you, I want you to do some homework for me. I want you to go away and I want you to read 16, 18, 16 to 23 um, before next week. And then next week James is going to preach um, on one <coughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want you to hear a couple of things that, that, that filter in this passage. Number one, it's a famous story where Abraham and the Lord have a conversation around, you know, uh, you're going to destroy the city for this many, yes or no. And, and actually, I want you to say that, I want you to see, filter it through this. This is not a story about a man badgering God and changing his mind. Uh, nor is it a story about an angry God who's going to wipe out a city. It's a story about a man in an encounter with God, learning what God is like, and learning that God is good and righteous and just. And that when he goes down to visit the city, 
he will do what is right and he will do what is good and that nobody who is righteous will perish. And it's a story that points forward to Nineveh where another man is sent to a city where there's a lot of sin and the city repents and isn't destroyed. So Sodom and Gomorrah is, not, is the way it is, not because of the nature and the character of law, but because of the people there. And it's a story that points forward to another city uh, where a man will stand outside the city and he will weep over the city and will say, if only you knew what made for peace. Jesus takes your and my cynicism to the cross. And in return, he offers us faith. He takes your and my desire to question God, to judge him, to say what we would have done better to the cross. And in return, he brings trust. Because ultimately, it's in encounters with God and his goodness and his nature and his love that those truths about him, that actually he is in the business of doing the impossible in your life for his glory, and that he is a good judge and no one who is righteous will perish. It's those truths that come from here to here when I meet with him. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to, um, we're going to invite him to meet with us, and we're going to invite him um, almost sort of already been there we're going to invite him to come into the places in our lives where we know that we are cynical and where we know we don't have faith and we're also going to invite him back into the places of our lives where 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 we know he has spoken the impossible things or people we've been yearning for and we're going to say lord uh, yet i will still trust you